0: Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Recently, I was feeling overwhelmed with all of the responsibilities I was juggling in my work and personal life. I signed up for BetterHelp and scheduled my first online therapy session. To be honest, I was a little nervous about meeting with a therapist online, but I was matched with a great therapist who offered me a fantastic experience. She helped me tremendously in our first session, and I noticed an instant difference in my mental health. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can also message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions whenever it's convenient for you. If you're matched with a therapist who isn't the right fit for any reason, Season, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, you also get more scheduling flexibility and a more affordable price, especially when you get 10% off your first month by signing up at betterhelp.com MFRP. That's betterhelp.com slash MFRP. Check it out and sign up today. welcome to the motivation for regular people podcast where you'll find all the inspiration you need to start continue and finish the goals that matter most to you if this is your first time listening i'm so glad you're here i believe each person has the same amount of motivation and what separates successful people from people who don't recognize their potential is the ability to tap into that motivation that they already have inside of them And I hope that something you hear or experience as you listen to this show helps you learn about how motivation works and what motivates you so that you can do more of the work that matters most and that will help you move forward. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, I definitely recommend that you do. We release a new episode every Thursday as well as a few bonus episodes every month. And subscribing is the easiest way to make sure you have access to new episodes when they come out. We also appreciate ratings and reviews, especially if the show inspires you or is helpful to you in any way. Today, I'll be talking with Bob DePasquale. Bob is often called the generosity guy. He cares deeply about empowering people to make a positive impact in the world. You're going to hear Bob tell his incredible story in detail during the episode, and I hope you walk away encouraged and excited about shifting your mindset to a generosity mindset. So let's dive right into the episode. Here's Bob DePasquale. Bob, thanks so much for coming on the show. So one of the things that stood out to me about you when we first connected was that you call yourself the generosity guy. So tell us about what the origins of that are and why that's important to you.
1: You're, you're welcome for coming on the show. And thank you for having me. Generosity changed my life when I was 18. And I haven't looked back. Well, I shouldn't say that. I look back all the time at that period of time in my life. And I think about it, and I speak about it, and I love talking with people. Uh, there's something special about giving compassion and supporting other people. I believe it's inerrant in humans. And sadly, over the years and more recently, uh, I think society has uh, urged us to focus on improving ourselves more than improving the lives of others.
0: Wow, that's really interesting, especially that last piece. So I want to come back to that later in the show, but... Before we get too far ahead of ourselves, you said generosity changed your life when you were 18. So tell us a little more about what happened there.
1: Sure. So I don't know about you, but when I was 18, I felt like I was invincible. Uh, I thought I could take on the world. Nothing would take me down. And I was headed off to college. And you know, you go to college for different reasons, but I had three reasons to go to college. And number one was to play football. Number two was to get to know my family a little bit better. I, I'm actually from New York. Uh, and that's where my school was. But I grew up in South Florida, moved down here when I was three, still live here to this day. And then the third reason was to get an education. Now, (laughs) I'm guessing my parents probably hoped and thought that maybe education was a little higher on that list, but uh, at least it made the list. So I go off to college, and in the summer, training camp for football starts. And the college training camp's a little bit different than high school two-a-days. I mean, we're there for pretty much an entire month, and we're on and off practicing two, three times a day, and a lot of film study. And I thought I had what was a groin injury in that first week of camp. And I felt like I was doing pretty well in front of my new teammates and coaches. But I had this debilitating injury. And I don't know about you, Brady, or anyone else out there listening. If you've ever pulled a groin muscle, it is one of the most debilitating things in the world. You can't sit, stand, twist, walk, you know, lift your leg, no less run down a football field. You know what I mean? And so over a period of about a week or so, I was doing this rehab exercise every morning. Now at 5 30, 6 o'clock in the morning, the training room is packed full of people. I mean, there's a hundred people in this big old room, much, much bigger room than you might you might think uh, you know, like a high school training room or something was. I mean, this is this is an operation. And part of my rehab exercise was to shimmy across the room on this three-wheeled stool. Now, if you can picture a three-wheeled stool and me sitting on it, and I'm basically dodging people going back and forth in this you know, 20 foot space and it was extremely uncomfortable. I wasn't getting any better. And one day the head trainer, his name was Rick stands on top. It was so loud and boisterous on the morning in the morning at this place that this little guy, I mean, he was probably five, eight, 140 pounds. He would have to stand on this box to get everyone's attention. And the one day and now I'm not going to exaggerate anything in this story, I promise you. I'm not an exaggerator, but maybe this was a little bit exaggerated because at least it seemed this way. One day, just happened to get dead silent. At least it felt like that way to me. And Rick stands on the box, and he would cup his hands to get people's attention. And he said, Bobby, they called me Bobby back then, quit messing around and being a weakling. you got to get back out on the field. And, I mean, that was a shot to my ego, man. I mean, I'm trying to prove myself in front of my new friend, my new coaches. And he basically told me I was a loser. And I had a more private meeting with him after. I said, listen, Rick, man, I don't appreciate you calling me out. But to be honest with you, I'm not getting any better. I'm trying. Don't don't get me wrong. I want to be out there. So he said, all right, well, I'm going to send you to a doctor. So he sent me to the doctor. And over a period of the next week and a half or so, I had every test in the book, Brady. I mean, I had CAT scan, sonogram ultrasound, MRI, everything to figure out what's going on with me and I would have to drive to these appointments by myself. Now technically I'm an adult because I'm 18 and I'm on Long Island New York driving around looking for doctors' offices. I would get to these the radiology departments and these and go to these different doctors and I would sit there so I know nothing about insurance and I would wait in these doctors' offices for seemingly ever and then finally they would call me back to the room. And I would go and i had have, I mean, it would take another couple hours to go through all the prep and everything that you have to do to take these tests. So what would happen is, is I would come out of these appointments and I'd be like, you know, exhausted. I'd call my parents, tell them what happened. And finally, I remember this. I'll never forget this. I had one more test one day and it was a Thursday. Now, my parents were supposed to be coming up for my first ever college football game. We knew at this point I wasn't playing in the game, but they were still flying up there. They were going to stay at my uncle's house because, like I said before, my whole family's from New York. And I'll never forget this. I went into the appointment expecting to be in there for a couple hours again, at least, and I walked in and they called me back like almost immediately. Didn't have to fill out any paperwork. I sit down in the room there and 30 seconds later, the doctor walks in. He sits down at the desk and he looks me straight in the eye and he says, Bobby, you have cancer. And I said, What? I mean, my jaw hit the desk. I, I I was this invincible 18-year-old just a few weeks before that. And he he let you know levied this devastating news. And the only thing I remember him saying is, Don't panic. We're gonna hook you up with an oncologist and we'll be in touch soon. You can go. And I was like, What? I don't even know what an oncologist is. No less you know, what I'm supposed to do. So I walked out in shock. I mean, I didn't even know what to think about it. And I kid you not, the moment I got out of the room, the, the building, I walked out of the building and it, it was like divine timing, Brady. The phone rang and I picked it up and it was my mom. And she said, Hey, I uh, wasn't expecting for you to pick up, thought you'd be in your appointment, but I appreciate you answering how would the appointment go. We just landed. And I was like, uh, about the appointment, mom. And ultimately I had to tell her what happened. I mean, what the doctor said. And it was, it was interesting because she didn't say anything. She was dead silent, but it, I mean, it felt like she was screaming on the inside, you know, like a mom hearing that, that news about her son. The only thing I remember hearing though, was my dad on the other end. He was yelling. He was like, Susan, Susan, what's wrong? My mom's name is Susan. And, you know, my dad could tell just by her reaction, probably in the car that something was wrong. And so we met back at my uncle's house, which is, you know, was maybe 15, 20 minutes away from me. And uh, I hadn't, I had never been away from home that long, you know, almost a month's time. And I, you know, I gave my parents a big hug and we kind of looked at each other and shed some tears and said some prayers. And we're just kind of like, what's going on? This is, this is crazy. So a couple a couple of days went by and now it's Saturday and my uncle's best friend comes over to his house. And his name was Tim. And he said hi to my aunt and uncle. And, and my, they were introducing him to my parents. And he walks over to my parents. And he reaches in his pocket, pulls out his keys, and hands it to my parents. It says, Bob and Susan, I can't imagine what you're going through with your son right now. But you can take my car and you can have it for as long as you could possibly need it so that you can get your son treated. And I thought to myself wow, that's the most generous thing that someone's ever done for my family. And so my parents were flabbergasted. They didn't know what to say. And Tim was like, nice to meet you. And he left. I mean, he was there for maybe 15 minutes. He came over just to do this. And I, you know, we never saw him. I mean, after he left and we're like, wow, what a nice guy. And and my aunt and uncle were like, yeah, I mean, that's Tim. we're We're honestly not surprised. So that was Saturday, the day of my first game and I you know I wasn't playing but it happened to be on actually. So then uh we we did end up speaking with an oncologist and this is a critical part of the story. He told me to stay in classes like don't drop my classes especially if I was going to stay up in New York and still and get treated up there not come back to Florida. And so I got out of my second ever college class on Tuesday morning. And I went to the cafeteria and I was going to grab something to eat and i don't know if you remember do you remember those old school televisions that, like they're like a, a square a tube television might have been eight inches and it was hanging from a bracket on the corner of the wall and the ceiling you know what i'm talking about
0: yeah i had one when i was a kid
1: yeah there you go so old school tv and the news is on and I'm you know i don't live in new york i, I hadn't been up there and i don't know the news station or anything like that so I mean, this is just foreign to me. I'm just whatever's on TV, I'm I'm watching. It's not like I had a fancy smartphone to play around with. And I'm watching the news and all of a sudden a plane flies into one of the towers in downtown New York City. And I said to myself, man, that's crazy. So I called my dad.
0: Which was just down the street from where you were, right?
1: Yeah, not too far. And I'm like, dad, what did you see that? He goes, yeah, I'm watching the news. Like, what a horrible accident. So we're talking for like a minute or so. And then all of a sudden, bam, a second plane hits another tower. And we realized the World Trade Center was getting attacked in, in Manhattan. And so my dad's like, yeah, this is not an accident. You better get back to your uncle's house. So I sprinted. I mean, I my groin was still bothering me, but somehow I ran out of there. And I, to this day, I don't know what happened to the breakfast burrito I was eating. It's probably still sitting on the table there. <laughs> and I hopped in the car, and it would typically take me 15 minutes to get from school to my uncle's house, but it took me nine hours. Wow. To drive from Hofstra University to my uncle's house. Now, subsequently, I'm healthy, obviously, today, and I actually have a master's degree in broadcast journalism. I worked in radio for a couple of years, but I will never, ever in my life listen to nine straight hours of AM radio again. <laughs> but I listened to the whole thing, the whole broadcast and report about what was going on in the September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks. And I ran out of gas in my uncle's neighborhood. Thank God I didn't run out of gas on the highway, but I ran out of gas. We pushed my car into his neighborhood, or excuse me, into his driveway. And my aunt was panicking. She's like, I she didn't know where my uncle was he had been on business the night before in Denver, but at this point we had no idea where these planes came from. And we we were really concerned that he was in one of the planes. And so finally, like, I don't know, maybe seven o'clock at night, he calls and said, Hey, you know, guys, the phone's been out all day. we trying to get a hold of you out. Imagine you've been worried and nervous, but everything's fine with me. I'm okay. Um, you know, how are you guys? What's going on over there? And we told him everything's cool. And he's like, all right, well, I'll, I'll try to catch a flight in the morning. I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. And We were going to hang up and he's like but wait i got to tell you one more thing my friend tim who came over and you guys met on saturday unfortunately he was in the towers this morning and he died and we all were just in shock and we couldn't believe it here's this guy who did the nicest thing that someone's ever done for our family but you know why did he deserve to die and it turns out that tim worked for canter fitzgerald which is an investment firm and bank in new york city there now if you've ever seen the video of their uh, CEO at the time, Howard Lucan and um he he was uncharacteristically not in the office that morning, but they lost hundreds of people I mean the whole office everyone died and uh he he's you know had some survivors guilt and he, he said you know we lost everyone and it's just amazing like how quickly life can can pass us and um but they were such a generous organization themselves that they gave office space to my uncle's foundation for cystic fibrosis, which is a disease that my cousin has. And I tell you that because typically everyone in the foundation would not be in the office that that early, except for one person, Tammy. But Tammy was also uncharacteristically late that morning because she had something silly to do or pick up at the store. It's kind of a crazy story, but she ended up getting stuck in the subway underneath the tower and uh, she escaped, but the stories that she can tell are just uh, incredible. And so, um, you know, you never know when our time on earth here is done. And, And a lot of people will say that. But what's interesting, Tim, uh, who worked for Canada for Shell, like I mentioned, being such a generous guy, you know, he would say, he'd add a little twist to that saying, you never know when your last chance to do something is. He would say, you know, when you never know when your last chance to be generous for someone will be. And ironically, our family was the last chance for Tim to be generous. So ever since then, over 20 years now, um, I've always tried to remember that and consider my actions on are they being generous for other people because I may not have a chance to do it again.
0: That's amazing. First of all, thank you so much for sharing your story in so much detail. And you can't see me because we've got our cameras turned off right now, but I just I was captivated the entire time. I mean, just thinking about all that you experienced in such a short time just blows me away. As you talk about your Uncle Tim and his generosity, the metaphor that I have in my mind is a pebble in a pond or a lake or any sort of body of water and you drop it in and that pebble might be small but the ripple effect the impact that it has in all of the area that's around it can be pretty substantial and i think that's a metaphor that you would agree with in terms of generosity like these small things big things whatever it is it can have an impact far greater than what you might have expected or anticipated
1: 100% and i you know generosity i like to i like to say it's contagious and so we weren't the only people that Tim probably touched with his life, but we happened to be the last ones. And so I like to talk about radical generosity and, you know, some people think that radical, you know, might mean bad or aggressive or, you know, have some, some negative connotations. But if you look up the definition of radical, what it really means is uh, unexpected or something, you know, with, with a thought process that others might not consider. And so that's what Tim would do. You know, people would ask me, well, that's a crazy thing. Why would he do that? Um, And it was radical. I mean, he just gave us his car. And to him, it was totally normal and acceptable. And I'm sure he probably went home that day and his parents and his wife was probably like, well, why did you give him the car? (laughs) What are you, nuts? Um, But he was known for stuff like that. And so, you know, the more radical that your generosity is, um, I think the more contagious it really is. And ultimately... Mm -hmm. I believe we all have some gift, skill, resource, whatever it might be, could be monetary, could be influence, could be, a, like I said, a skill, but we all have something to make the world a better place and give to other people. And mm-hmm. so I think it's important to consider that. It's important to understand that not only do we have that ability, uh, but it's also, as I mentioned earlier in the in the recording, uh, it's innate, it's inerrant for us to be compassionate. And I, you know, I have... I've done plenty of research over the years on on this and I want as many people as possible to know that not only is not it an error, but they have the capability of doing it. And there's nothing more saddening to me than someone who wants to be like, Bob, I'd love to be generous, but I don't have the time or I don't have enough money. I, I'm not rich. I can't be a philanthropist. And I always tell people, it's not about that. Uh, everything that you do well or every resource that you have, you can give in some way or another to help make someone's world better.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And you made a comment earlier in the recording that really stood out to me. You said that people can be so focused on themselves that they forget to pour into others. So how would you encourage that person to think about being more generous?
1: Sure. Uh, let me let me give you uh, a little pretense for that. So I don't think that most people are inherently selfish. right? I think it's not a selflessness, selfish discussion. I think what happens is people are starving for information these days. Oh no, sorry, starving is not the right word. People are having trouble curating information these days. It's so easy to put information out there. And so what happens is there's 87 million self-help books. And if you go on social media, there's channels that you you can get washed up in the algorithm that you're not good enough and you need to do something, you need to work out harder, you need a better diet, you need to do meditation, you need to be mindful, you need to read this book so you can be a better business person. There's so many messages out there that they have a solution to something and solution indicates problem. But I don't think we truly have as many problems as the world says we do. I mean, we have problems, don't get me wrong. We have some big things going on in our country here, if you live in the US or in the world that we need to address for sure. Uh, I don't wanna minimize it, but the amount of problems I don't think is that much. I think it's the depth of certain ones and we are absolutely capable uh, of solving problems but we don't necessarily need to improve ourselves that much. So when you ask the question, what can someone do to help improve the lives of others or think less about improving themselves? It's not a a matter of martyrdom. It's not a matter of sacrificing everything that you have uh, so that someone else can feel joyful. That's not ultimately what it is. It's giving of the resources that you have so that you can make someone else's situation better. And then I promise you, And once again, I have the scientific and anecdotal evidence of this, that I promise you, you will be more joyful and feel better if you use what you're good at to make someone else's life better. And there's multiple reasons for this. But the two obvious ones that you got to point out is one is you're doing something that you're good at. We want to do something. Don't you want to be good at something and do it, right? I mean, you want to win. You want to be successful. So A, you're doing something that you're effective at, and B, there's something to be said for you knowing that that person is in a better situation because of what you have done. And it's contagious and it's also exponential. So when you start, when you have a generous mindset, it's, you never get burnt out on generosity. You know, I've never heard someone say, oh man, I'm sick of making people's lives better. Uh, If you know anyone that works in the nonprofit world, we talk about burnout a lot in the nonprofit world, but that is never because Man, I got so sick of seeing people happy and us making their lives better. Or I got so sick of, of people not being hungry anymore, or you know, lives no longer being trafficked or any other, you know, cause out there. They get burnt out because of the administrative work and the and the, the confrontations and the problems and the discussion. They never get actually burnt out by the impact. So for your personal experience, you will never. Do something nice for people and get burnt out about it or burn out about the results for them. Uh, so what I mean by that is if you just get started and you make it a habit, it'll end up being more interesting and you'll do more of it as time goes on. And studies show this for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. So before we wrap up, what are one or two practical ways for someone who's wanting to be more generous but not exactly sure how to get started? What are one or two practical ways that they could do that immediately. Sure.
1: So I you know one thing I would say is you know people ask me this question a lot you know how can I be more generous. And I'd be very careful on the phrasing of that statement because uh I don't believe generosity is something that we should necessarily measure too much. I mean obviously if if I give a million dollars to a cause and you give 10 Ten dollars. Sure, the cause would rather have a million dollars. You know, I'm not I'm not dumb, Uh, but. The the way you should measure your generosity is the amount of effort that you put into something, and usually that comes down to how often do I do it? Right. Do do I do one general, Do I do like my good deed for the day or do I do something nice on the weekend and then the rest of the week, I don't think about anyone else? Or am I consistently thinking about, you know, my just my general daily decisions? And that's a great way to increase generosity or be more generous, just to think about it more, not necessarily to give more or work an extra hour for someone, you know, or something like that. Hmm. And then the other, or to to truly answer your question, though, I I always say these two things. Uh, Number one is ask questions. There's nothing more powerful than understanding someone's plight or situation. If you really want to be helpful to someone, just ask, just ask them, hey, what can I help you with? What do you need? How can I be of assistance? And it can be simple as someone that you ran into in the grocery store that you haven't seen in a while. Hey, how are you doing? You need anything? Can I do something? For, you know, doesn't have to be complicated. Uh, so always think about asking people what it is that they need. And then if you're looking to really be, you know, to go deep and kind of do the brainstorming, psychological work and deep work related to this, ask yourself what are the most meaningful things and causes in your life? Like what, and for a lot of people, it, 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 it are, it's, it's issues that have come up and have affected you in the past. It may not be for you, but that's a good place to start. Ask yourself truly like, what is really, really meaningful to me? And then I think you can take some more time and start thinking about ways you could participate in that, in that field or that world, whether it's read books, talk to people, uh, volunteer for an organization, uh, you know, just learn about podcasting and dive into that topic. And then I think you'll quickly figure out how you can be a positive impact in that space. And you can be generous because you know, and it's suddenly now no longer just something that you care about, but it's something that you have expertise in, and then you can help other people do it. So those two things I would say are probably the most uh, important first steps, Uh, but truly if if you just ask someone how their day is like i was walking down this uh no we were running this morning my wife and i were running in the neighborhood and we just said hi to someone and like they were they they look like you know that they were sleepwalking but we said hi and they're like oh hey and like it just brightened their day i don't i don't know you know maybe maybe they were faking it i'm not sure but just doing nice things like saying hi and opening doors and stuff um those That's more actionable. So I I gave you three answers, even though I said I'd give you two.
0: (laughs) Hey, I'll take it. And I like the way that you framed it, because the, the sense that I'm getting is it's less about the specific tasks, maybe, and more about the mindset that you have and the way that you see other people and the way that you value generosity in your life. So I think that that's highly applicable. And I appreciate that. Bob, if there's someone who's listening to this and they want to learn more about you and hear about what you're doing in regards to generosity, where can people find you or connect with you?
1: BobDPasquale.com is the best place to go. All my socials are on there and you can find all kinds of information about myself and the work that I do and uh, my company as well. I, I want to say one more thing, just based on what you, you know, the phrase that you just or the, what you just mentioned, generosity is definitely a mindset. It's not an event. You know, don't think I went to this charitable function. I was generous. It's, I think generously is probably a better way to to think about it. I think that's a powerful thought process in in someone's mind, and you'll start developing positive habits.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's truth for that, I think, in regards to other values as well. You know, whether it's generosity or positivity or discipline, really anything, it's not so much about what you do, it's more about, how you see yourself and what sort of identity you adopt. and that will manifest itself in your actions, but for the person who's thinking, well, I want to do something specific. Maybe there's a little bit of value in that. But if you really want to adopt a particular mindset or a particular worldview, it has to become a part of your identity. So I take that that's what you're saying about generosity, and I fully agree with that. Bob, thank you so much for the time that you shared with us today. I loved hearing your story. And I'm definitely going to walk away thinking about how I can become more generous in my day-to-day life. So I appreciate that.
1: Thanks Brady. Pleasure, man. Have a generous day.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Before we wrap up, let me tell you about one more opportunity that will help you unlock your motivation and pursue your most important goals. If you're anything like me, you start the new week with a lot of excitement. You have big plans and you can't wait to see what happens. Once the week gets going, though, you may have something unexpected come on your plate or you may simply start to feel overwhelmed by all of the tasks that you have to juggle. And it can be difficult to finish the week with the same amount of motivation that you had when you started. If this is a feeling you can relate to, go to my website at BradyRoss.com and sign up for my Midweek Momentum newsletter. Each Tuesday, I'll send you a short email with a thought, quote, a reflection, often based on the podcast from the week before. This boost of momentum will help you finish your week with the same amount of drive and determination that you had when you started after you sign up you'll receive a free instant download of the introduction in chapter one of my book seven steps to dominate your day and crush your goals you'll learn how to maximize the power and potential of each day by planning in advance what you want to accomplish This newsletter is completely free, I won't spam you, I won't sell your information, and you can unsubscribe at any time if for whatever reason you don't find the content helpful. I simply want to help you carry your motivation through the end of the week and give you the boost you need to start doing more of the work that matters. And I think that you'll ultimately find both the information in the email and the timing of it very helpful. So, if you're interested, you can sign up today at BradyRoss.com. That's B R A D Y R O S S.com. And we'll include that link in the show notes as well. Once again, thanks for listening to today's show. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already done so. And if you're willing to leave us a rating, that would be awesome as well. Any positive feedback helps us grow this community and spread the word to others who may find the content helpful. As we wrap up, remember, you already have all of the motivation that you need, and it's up to you to decide what you'll do with it.